The following message is a part of the teaching ministry of Grace Bible Church of Fairburn, Georgia, on the web at gracebible.faith. That's gracebible.faith. Good evening, Grace Bible Church and Friends of Grace. As you know, this last Sunday we were in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. And I want to continue to remind and to, to press us to, to consider the fact that this is not a sensational chapter. Um, it's not source material to beat up on bad teachers or even false teachers. Rather, it's a very hard and taxing chapter because it speaks about those who come into the local church for the purposes of deceiving and destroying and hurting people, going after weak persons and weak believers and introducing uh, things that tarnish and hurt the, the reputation of the local church and disrupt the fellowship. So it is a major, major thing. But it's not sensational. It shouldn't be something that we get excited about or we're going to answer them in kind. We do see very firm and strong language by the Apostle Peter, and it carries over to the, the section that we're covering, or that we covered this last Sunday, and we'll continue to look at. And so we need to strike a balance there with humility and confidence in Christ and recognizing that there is a response to answer and to address and to um, uh, properly uh, defend the integrity of the church. And so, yes, strong language was appropriate. And yes, firm responses, but it needs to be mingled as I trust it was. I know it was with Peter, with humility, confidence in Christ, and not looking to, to stir things up, not looking to, to cause, uh, um, uh, to, to produce a sensational dynamic, rather with a heavy heart answering the offense and the offender as is appropriate. And again, there's a time and a place for that. And it's a, it's truthfully, it's a necessary work. And it's might be hard, but it's a necessary work. And we see that for the elders in particular. Um, we see that the Apostle Paul in, in Titus chapter 1, when he's giving eldership qualifications, that part of that is to address these matters. So we see in Titus chapter 1, for the overseer must be beyond reproach as God's steward. Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of dishonest gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and, and this is the counterpart, we do a lot of exhorting, a lot of teaching, a lot of instruction, but also to reprove those who contradict it. And that's the nature of our charge as pastors and shepherds is, is we can't just acknowledge that, yes, there's, there's false teachers out there. And yes, they, they produce a frustration or a challenge to us. Rather, it's part of our responsibility to address and answer them. And there comes that tension of um, by what means and, and how firmly. And is it only when, it's, um, when it becomes part of the local fellowship or is it the broader elements those are things we have to wrestle with, but it is part of the charge to reprove those who contradict true doctrine. So we were mindful of that for leadership, and, and, and leadership is very imperative, especially in these matters. But what about the larger church body? Is this just a, a, a priming and a, a making you an aware so that you know why we are correcting and why we are addressing these things? Or are there also commands and expectations for the larger church body in this area as well? Well, I would say yes, there's always a common charge for the church to defend the integrity of Christ and to defend the integrity of sound doctrine. But also, as we've been um, observing throughout the letter, Peter's driving to something here. 
He's developed it throughout the letter, but he's going to drive to it especially hard as he, build, uh, as he builds up to the end of the letter, which we'll get to several weeks or months from now. But I think it's a good thing to keep before us as well. Namely, where he states in chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, and part of the this is dealing with, again, false teachers, the mockers, and all such persons, be on your guard lest you, having been carried away by the error of unprincipled men, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So again, this is a necessary matter of attention, but not a source of sensational engagements. And it, it should be part of our larger balance and study and attention, not one that necessarily consumes our, our full attention at all times, but again, something that we're aware of, that we give proper um, attention to, and that we are prepared. And in terms of the balance with that, I think the best illustration that I can think of in the moment is one that I did give on Sunday. It wasn't necessarily something that I had in my notes, but drew to my mind as I was thinking about the, the charge and the weightiness of this. It was just a small, simple incident that happened this last Friday. Nothing of major consequence, thankfully so. But last Friday, I was um, in my study here at the church, and I was working on 2 Peter chapter 2 and um, working through my notes and preparation for Sunday when I heard glass break. And you can see probably off to the side, we have windows here. It's a common thing for building structures that have windows. And so I'm trying to think. I'm here by myself, and... There's no reason for glass just to break. It's not something. It's not a natural phenomenon, but we do have windows, and we do have uh, like situations that maybe glass could be broken. And so I wasn't sure. Was it something thrown off the road or someone maliciously throwing something at a window or someone attempting to make entry into the building? I wasn't sure. So training and experience kicks in, and I went ahead, picked up a tool to engage a possible threat uh, to myself, to the church building. Wasn't sure. And it turned out to just have been a decoration that fell, um, and Beverly had very graciously, um, as many of you know who have been here, has uh, put up some very nice decorations for Christmas, and unfortunately a temporary hook fell and a, a glass item broke, and, and that was sad, that was unfortunate, but it wasn't a threat. It wasn't a threat. So what's the point of that? Well, I want to help you see that at balance. Um, that I'm trying to communicate here in terms of Second Peter, how we approach it, how we approach false teachers, and just uh, all such matters. So the balance is this. I was giving my time and my attention to the scriptures. I was uh, not perched in a hiding place waiting for an ambush to, uh, or, or to, to assault a false teacher or to, to deal with some imminent threat. But when a threat arose, or in this case, the prospect of a threat, the perception of a possible threat, I engaged, uh, prepared to do what might be necessary. wasn't necessarily looking forward to, to having some awkward confrontation or some engagement or, or like matter, but I did engage prepared accordingly because I was already physically and mentally prepared for such a possibility. I know there are threats. I know that while there's nobody that necessarily wants to do harm to this building or to this church body or to me personally, I know that is a reality. And so I was mentally prepared, physically prepared. I know things happen and I know my responsibilities if they do happen. And we know in terms of a parallel to this illustration that there's an active threat to Christ's church. 
not just breaking windows, not just uh, making entry or other such things, but an active assault to, to harm the reputation, to harm Christ's people, to, to do immeasurable uh, damage, as it were. And so we are aware, and therefore we need to be vigilant. But the best preparations, I would conclude myself, would be knowing and applying the Scriptures. Knowing and applying the Scriptures, loving our Lord, loving one another. That's going to be what insulates us more than just standing in readiness or always going after proactively, aggressively, vigorously, sensationally, after every perceived or actual threat. I think the better posturing is to daily do the hard work of faithfulness. And then when threats do come, we have Second Peter 2 under our belt, and we know this is a reality, it's a possibility, and it's come We'll engage. We understand the false teacher. We understand their ways, their character, and all such matters uh, as best we can. And so we'll respond accordingly. We know them for who they are. We know them for the conduct that they, they engage in. And so we'll, we'll respond appropriately. So that being said, having a humble and healthy balance in our approach, um, we, we worked through verses 12 through 16 which I've described as the second what section of this letter, excuse me, of this chapter, the second what section of the second half of 2 Peter chapter 2. So the first what consisted of verses 10 and 11 and spoke to the, those who despise authority or despising of authority. Part of the first major characteristic of the false teacher that Peter speaks to in this, again, second half of 2 Peter chapter 2. And the second what that we have here consisted of verses 12 through 16 and spoke to corrupt lust. Corrupt lust, again, the, the second major um, uh, character identification, conduct identification of the false teacher. Corrupt lust. And with this, I gave significant attention to, to Balaam on Sunday. And even opening our time walking through his story in the book of Numbers from the time of his hiring by Balak all the way to the time of his death as it was recorded by Moses a couple of chapters later and work through the, the range of what we see there and the, the complexities of it and, and what it might help us understand both him but also the false teacher. And again, the part of the reason I chose to do this, even though he's, addressed, he's only addressed in the last two verses of of the section of first, uh, Second Peter 2, chapter um, assembly, I'm sorry. He's only addressed in this, the last two verses of our section from this last Sunday, Second uh, Peter 2, 15 and 16. I chose to give him a lot more proportionate attention because I think Balaam weighs in heavy throughout the, the section as a whole. And I say this because I think he's, and I think Peter's really developing this, that he serves as an example of the whole of what Peter's communicating in these verses about the false teacher. I think Balaam really helps us get a handle on the things that Peter's speaking to. And we should expect as much, shouldn't we, um, from how Peter's already introduced false teachers at the beginning of the chapter. We saw this in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Make several references to it because it's really the foundation of this chapter, and it helps us understand why the circumstances are what they are and, and why we need to be prepared and why we need to understand the character and conduct of the false teacher. So again, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Peter wrote, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as, so we have a point of comparison and to, to draw from and understanding, just as there will also be false teachers among you, 
who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who, brought, who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So this introduction here, chapter 2, to the false teacher, it's almost like a personal introduction for Balaam. So I've had the opportunity and uh, responsibility to introduce people, uh, specifically keynote speakers at a major conference event. And what I try to do is I try to understand part of their testimonies, part of their stories, or what's their connection to the church, and what are they doing now. And I want to round out, give a better appreciation of who they are as I introduce them to, to the audience, to those who are there to, to learn and to hear from them. And this is almost like a personal introduction for Balaam. So here you have false prophet, destructive heresies, denying his master, swift destruction, uh, leading others away through sensuality, maligning of truth, driven by greed. It's like a, uh, and exploiting with false words, it's like a personal introduction for Balaam. Also, it's for the false teacher. It's like, well, is he talking about this one or that one? Because it describes pretty well the false teacher broadly. And such is the nature, again, of their character and conduct. It can be bound up in this. So describes Balaam really well, describes really the false prophet really well, but it also describes the false teacher. So broadly, it's a, it's, I think it's an excellent description, a very applicable foundation, but it makes me think about Balaam as Peter draws from him as an example. So here is the false teacher, so much like Balaam. Um, themselves, what are they doing? Well, Peter says they're forsaking the right way. I think these are... If I had to draw out and, and make a, just a, a very concise argument for the false teacher as a whole, I think we could probably do it here in these verses where Peter's drawing from Balaam's example to speak of them. So he says they've, they've forsaken the right way and they've loved the wages of unrighteousness. They're like Balaam in these ways, but they're, they're like the false prophet, broadly speaking. And this is, again, the modus operandi. This is the character. This is the operations. This is who the false teacher is, forsaking the right way loving the wages of unrighteousness. And we took time to consider the range of descriptions that Peter laid out for these Balaam-like offenders. They're blaspheming where they have no knowledge. They're shameless and, and unrestrained reviling. Um, they're deceptive infiltration of the body life of the church so that they what, might do what? So they might produce harm and failure and shame. Their eyes are full of adultery and unceasing sin, so that even how they, they perceive this world is so perverse and uh, perverted and, and corrupt. And they have an insatiable appetite for carnal indulgences. And they're going after the destruction of the weaker members, and again, compounding the offensiveness of their, their conduct. They're cultivating... Um, uh, their own patterns of greed. We talked about that in terms of greed comes naturally, something we have to mortify, have to fight, but here they're cultivating it. They're working out their greed to be more excellent. All reasons for which Peter declares that there's stains and blemishes. Now again, I've just labored to say we're not going to be sensational and that uh, we want to be careful to, to not uh, uh, be just driven by almost like a charismatic uh, or impassioned response. But there is a time for strong and firm responses. And I don't think Peter was doing this to be sensational, where he just kind of erupts. He goes over their, their offense after offense after offense, and they just erupt. They're, they're stains, they're blemishes. So again, there's a time and a place to be firm, to 
be hard. And how, when we talked about how these things, stains and blemishes, are really the antithesis to, to who we are in Christ and the identity of the, uh, of the, the body and bride of Christ, that we're going to be presented before him blameless and pure and with great joy. So what a, what a contrast, these stains, these blemishes. And he describes them as accursed by God or cursed by God. Uh, many women who are under the righteous wrath of God. Again, these eruptions of just here's who they are and then there's stains and blemishes. They're, they're, they're under the righteous wrath of God. Apostates also who have who've left the faith. But they're apostates are really of a different kind in my estimation. They're, so you have the apostates who've left the the faith in the manner that they formally, uh, formally and publicly rejected Christ, rejected the, the testimony of truth. They said, you know what? I held fast to that. I don't hold fast to it anymore. The classic clear apostate. But these, the false teacher, the, from the pattern that Peter lays out, it's almost like they're covert apostates. They've left the faith. They've rejected truth. But they remain within the public body while they conceal their full identity in such manner so as to bring others to a like ruin. They don't say why. Well, I out of hand rejected and I'm leaving, but they've rejected the master who bought them. They've deceitfully stayed within the church and they're breeding corruption and destruction so as to produce a maligning of the public testimony of Christ's church and again to bring others to a like destruction. So they are a terrible lot, a wicked people, and they will have a, a terrible end accordingly. And again, we speak to these matters um, so that we might know this beforehand, as Peter's exhorted. So we've written, so that you will know. And that's an appropriate response to one who, who loves the fellowship. To know, so that there would be a measure of protection, a measure of growth, a measure of proper opposition. And ultimately, why do we need to know? So that we can remain steadfast. That's what Peter, I think, again, was driving at. Protect the flock, stay steadfast. So, what do we do? Well, we continue to, to labor in these things, to, to see and understand who they are. It's a contrast to, to other works that we've seen in Peter, to, to see and understand who we are. Now it's a seeing in who these opposing persons are, those who are not genuine in Christ, but would claim to be and do so to the destruction of others. And we'll continue to, to labor in that as we work through the concluding part of chapter 2, and then we get to chapter 3, we're going to have to deal with mockers, who um, have no regard for God's judgment, who have uh, no understanding of the, the really the ways of the Lord, and will, again, perish accordingly. And it's, again, they're hard things to work through, but um, he's provided these things for our instruction, for our protection, for our remaining steadfast. So, in view of these matters, um, how might we respond in prayer? Well, there's, there's lots of ways, lots of ways that we need to be responding in prayer, and there's other application as well, but... I want to drive home prayer application, so I have five proposals for you in terms of some ways we can be praying for this. The first two are duplicated from last week because we're covering very similar territory, very similar dynamics, albeit last week was their despising of authority and this week is their um, working for wages of unrighteousness. But So the first two, the first being pray that the Lord will mercifully protect His church. Um, false teachers are realities. We need to pray, Lord, preserve your church. They're going to go after the weak, especially. Lord, preserve those who are weak. Help us to strengthen them. Uh, second, we saw pray that we would not become vulnerable to the impact of false teachers by giving way to and making excuses for our own weakness and need for maturity and growth. We don't need to excuse our need for progress, our need for growth, our need for strengthening, or 
or just um, begin becoming content with our own excuses and, and letting the embarrassment of our um, lack of proper progress subside. No, we, we need to stay vigilant. Lord, keep us. Keep us faithful. Keep us vigilant. Don't let us be, become uh, indifferent to, to necessary progress. Third, pray for vigilant lives of purity and holiness, uh, reflecting the work that Christ will accomplish in the full and final purification of his bride. We worked through this again Sunday, and we, we showed the, the striking difference between those who are have an insatiable appetite for sin and who we are in Christ. And, and you know, lives of holiness and lives with a view to Christ's return and to the finished um, uh, process of our sanctification, our being made ready and fit for eternity, those are transformative things. Even going back to chapter 1, we have transformative promises. And we need to, to, to have a, a view to that and to, to pray that we would remain vigilant with pure and holy lives. That's an excellent insulator against the, the ways and tactics of the false teacher, especially as they choose and pursue carnal things. Fourth, we could um, pray to have to live with a view to God's righteous judgment. Um, we need to have a, a sober perspective that those who have left the way of righteousness, those who have pursued unrighteous wages, their way is destruction. They produce destruction, and they will end with destruction, just as Balaam did. We need to pray that we would live with a, a righteous, uh, a view to God's righteous judgment. And then fifth and finally, for our purposes, pray that we would finish our races well, not forsaking the right way or pursuing unrighteous wages. And again, I think about that, and that was one of the things I just generally briefly mentioned with Balaam. If you just take one part of his experience where he goes to, uh, under the seeming, where he goes, he follows Balak's men, he blesses Israel, he even gets fired and he blesses them again. And if we just took that, we might think, wow, what, a, what an interesting and, and strange man in terms of the larger sweep of his context and how he got to where he did, but he's blessing Israel and he, he's even doing it uh, at the expense of being paid and being well taken care of and potentially his reputation for those in this area. But that wasn't the full, um, wasn't his full story. And it's certainly not how he ended. He, he went on to do some horrible things, leading uh, Israel into the offense of, of Baal of Peor and to, to leading them into sexual offense and ultimately being put to death as well. That's how he finished. We need to pray that we would finish our race as well, that we would stay on the right path. Uh, pursuing righteousness and not unrighteous wages. There's a divergent of paths, and the false teacher's gone the way of Balaam. We need to pray that we would stay on the right path, that we would finish well. So, again, uh, this is a high-level, very high-level um, engagement with what we worked on Sunday. We obviously took much more time to unpack those details, and but I just want to refresh your mind and refresh your memory in terms of the tone and, and what we're covering and why we're walking through it and just to think about how to be praying for it. So I hope that's of help to you. Hope it'll encourage you to, to maybe go back and listen to the, the full message or to review your notes as we want to, to think well and to act well and according to what God's provided for us, even in these hard sections um, that speak to, to things that are challenging, namely the, the false teachers and their impact on the local church. But Lord willing, we will be found faithful and uh, persevere to the end. All right. Thank you for following along. Be found faithful in prayer as you think about these things. Grace and peace to you all.